What is going on, everyone, and welcome back to the 90 and 60 Plus Podcast. My name is Christian Yall, and this week we're doing everything remote just because uh, due to weather conditions we can't be in person, but nevertheless, we pursue forward. It's me, myself, and Aldo and Saul. Aldo, how you doing, man? How was Philly for you, and uh, how is it to be back home? Yeah, guys, it's good to be back home. Um, you know, I was missing the baby and my girlfriend a lot, so that was, that was you know, that's nice to be back home. But Philly was great. There was a lot of information, uh, like at the conferences, at the conference, and then there was a lot of stuff to do in Philly too. So I'm, I'm happy I was able to mix, you know, work with pleasure. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. But how how are you guys? How are you guys doing? Yeah, bro, I'm pretty good. Uh, school starts back up for me this week, although it's kind of ironic because. Uh, first day of school is canceled for me due to the snow, but no, it'll it'll be good, man. It'll keep me busy. Apart from that, uh, yeah, just busy with work and whatnot. Happy to be back on the pod this week. Uh, but that's me. Uh, so what about you, man? You're here. You know, yeah, I mean, I'm good. You know, um, as always, you know, just excited to talk footy again. Indeed, man. So we're going to kick off the podcast with our biggest takeaways from the week just passed. Uh, who wants to go first? I guess, although I'll give you the floor first. What you got for us this week? Yeah, man. Uh, a lot of things happened <laughs> in the week. You know, Manchester Sir Derby, you know, the right Manchester won, Manchester's red. But there is some controversy there, which I know we'll talk about later. Um, and But I guess my biggest takeaway is, uh, I think it was announced today, that there was some official reports out there saying that Jim Radcliffe has entered the bidding process to buy United off the Glazers. Um, so that's pretty exciting. You know, I I don't know much about the guy. Um, I just know he's got the money. You know, he is a British billionaire, and he loves the football club too. So I know that for sure. But that's my takeaway. Yeah, man, glad to hear it. Uh, I think a lot of United fans are pretty happy about that news that the Glazers are finally looking to sell the club. And if it goes to the hands of some English owner, I'm pretty sure it'll be even more good news for the for the United fans. But yeah, we'll talk about we'll talk more about that on due course when things are in those progressive stages. But so, what about you, man? What you got for us this week? You know, so yeah, my takeaway this week is that that Barca um, finally won the first trophy under Xavi. You know, hopefully, um, their first of many under the Xavi era. And I think Ronald that Alfo said it best. Uh, it's the start of a new era. So yeah, let's hope uh, it was filled with a lot more trophies. Yeah, bro, that Supercopa de España. It was a it was an it was a classic match. You know, obviously pretty one-sided, but very good match which we'll talk a little bit more on later on, but yeah, good to see for Xavi, good to see for Barca fans entering the new year. And then I guess that brings it to my takeaway which I had a few talking points this week. Uh one, I want to give a quick shout out Liga MX is back and I know we've kind of trashed this league for a little bit on this podcast, but no, man, if anything, it's it's entertaining football to watch. You know, this past week, there were some good games on, like, Monterrey 3, Cruz Azul 2, uh, Toluca drawing with America 2-2. Some really talented players, whether they're Mexicans or foreigners, it's just really entertaining to watch. So that's uh, the main reason why I get so many viewerships. But what I really want to talk about and what I really want to say is my biggest takeaway is the fact that I think Chelsea's new owner, Todd Bowley, is slowly but surely ruining football for us, man. I mean... We always talk about these big money spenders, whether it's, you know, PSG with their Qatar money or Man City with their Abu Dhabi money. But nah, bro, Todd Bowley and his American billionaires or billions of dollars just 
we saw how much he spent in the summer on the transfer window and most recently he hijacked Arsenal's move for Mudrik. I mean, what was it at the end? Like 120 million euros, something crazy like that. Yeah, I want to get your guys' opinion on that. What do you all think about Chelsea hijacking that move and paying that amount of money for a footballer that's yet to be proven in the top five league? I think, I think you said it best. Just, yeah, I think uh, you said it best, Christian. It's just ruining football. Bit. <clears throat> there, um, there's been arguments that it was actually, you know, we always talk about what transfer ruined football, and I've always said it's the Pogba one. It, uh, people have recently been talking about that uh, Jack Grealish overinflate prices with his, you know, 100 million price tag. And, you know, we've seen players such as Anthony and then now Mudrik. Uh, go for a hundred million. So people are now wondering. Well, people are now saying it's like it seems like nowadays a uh, hundred million can't can't even get you a good player anymore. If we're being honest. So yeah, I mean, it's just I think you said it best. It's just ruining football. And I think I think it's going to get to the point where uh, you just have to you're going to have to really invest in your youth academy because otherwise, I think I think it's really getting to that point where you're going to have to be shelling out a hundred million for I wouldn't even say good player, just a decent player, just a. Because I mean, we're being honest about Mudrik. He, he, he hasn't been exactly tearing it up in the Ukrainian league. He did good in the Champions League, but I mean, we're being honest. He's not worth a hundred million, and I really do think this transfer is just going to add over start over inflating prices. Yeah, I hundred percent, hundred percent agree there. Um, I mean, I, I, again, this is one of the reasons. I really don't like the Glazers over at United. Um, they made a history of overpaying for players, you know, and even with Anthony, yeah, Ten Hag did want him, but Ten Hag was requesting, you know, for Anthony much, 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 much earlier in, you know, the transfer window. Uh, and they decided to wait and to wait and eventually got, you know, paid more than originally was supposed to be, which I think was around 40 50 million, you know, definitely half of what they paid. Um, but just to see it, you know, with Mudrik as well, which I think it even comes from, you know, in my in my opinion, a lower league than Ajax and the Eredivisie. So hopefully he does well. You know, I never wish bad about a player, but hopefully he does well and it works out for them. Yeah, although you said it best there, bro. We don't wish bad on any player, but it's just the proven track record that we have of players that move to clubs for sums of over, I think, what, 60 or 70 million. Like nine times out of 10, it just doesn't go right. So, Mudrik, we hope you're the exception, but, you know, based on history, that's not going to be the case. Uh, it's 100 million uh, euros. Uh, where is it? Dude, is this, and the contract link, too, that blows my mind. Seven and a half years, because obviously we're in January, but damn, seven years, basically, for, for Mudrik. Um, he's going to be pay, getting paid really well, too. He's going to be earning over 100K a week in the Premier League, which automatically puts him up there as one of the top earners at Chelsea and in the Premier League in general. But, yeah, dude, Todd Bowley, it's almost like he doesn't want to... It's almost like he believes that weakening his rivals is the fastest way to success, which... I mean, that's just the most, and I know I'm going to get a lot of hate for this, but it's just the most American and most short-minded way to to look at this competition because I think a lot of Americans think that they can just easily dip money into the Premier League or into these European football competitions and get a quick um, 
what's the word turn of investment on it but that's not the case and i think he's going to find out find this out the hard way obviously we could be proven wrong in one month or two months time but yeah we just got to wait and see um but again we don't wish anything bad for the player he's a ukrainian player and i think uh Shakhtar donated, I think, at least 20% to the transfer to uh, funds to help out Ukraine in the situation they're currently in. But, yeah, hopefully everything works out for Mudrik and mm, hopefully for Chelsea because they need it. They need him to come in and start banging immediately. But, yeah, that's my biggest takeaway. Um, Y'all just want to dive straight into the Premier League? I mean, we're already talking about Chelsea and England and so on. Wait, so. Before, 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 you, <clears throat> before you move on, just on Todd Borey, you guys saw this, but apparently there was um, some tweet bashing Mason Mount, and I forgot what the tweet said exactly, but it was bashing Mason Mount. I don't know if it was about a contract renewal. I think I think the, the tweet was pretty much saying that he's useless and pretty much not the player he once was, and Todd Bully on his official Twitter liked, the, liked it. So, just, you know, it's just, I don't think I mean, we said it last week. I think that just things at Chelsea aren't—they're not looking good. Yeah, bro. Chelsea's definitely in the mud. But damn, I didn't know that. Is that—is that legit, <laughs> or did someone Photoshop it, or is it pretty? Uh, it looked legit to me. Damn. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure if you search it up right now, it won't be there. Obviously, but uh, I did see someone. It looked like a legit source. Of course, it could be made up, but it might have been, now that you mentioned it, because I think it would have been a bigger deal. Or maybe not, because people seem to, you know, not care. I, I mean, I've been seeing Mason Mount getting bashed a lot recently by Chelsea fans. Some even going as far as saying that he should be sold, so. Yeah, I've seen the same. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it could be it, true. I mean, I wouldn't put it past being true, given how he's running the club currently, but... Yeah, it's crazy, bro. I mean, should we just start with Chelsea then in the Premier League? Uh, we've been bashing them for a couple of weeks. I think they're currently in ninth or 10th place, but they got their first win in a while over Crystal Palace, albeit a slim win of 1-0. But, bro, their starting 11 truly shocked me. I'm talking about, you know, the likes of the academy players that started this game, like Lewis Hall, um, Chuko Omenka. I totally butchered that, so I apologize. But... No, they're the players that made an impact, and honestly, this kind of reminds me of where Barca was a couple of years ago, where they didn't have the talent on the field, so they just had to dip into the academy. A lot of teams have done it in the past, and it's proven to be somewhat successful, but yeah, these players are hungry. They want to put their name out there, not only to their club, but to the fans and to casual viewers of the Premier League, and I think some of these players did just that. I mean, did y'all get a chance to see this game, or what are, what are y'all's thoughts? No, I didn't get a watch it, so I don't know I mean. I guess it's nice to finally get on the win column after they lost like six or seven in a row. Well, not lost, but they hadn't won in like seven or eight in a row. So I guess it's nice for them to finally get into the win column. You know, hopefully this win distracts them a bit from what's going on outside and how much money they're blowing and all this outside stuff going on. But can't really say much beside that because I didn't watch it. Yeah, I didn't watch it either, but <clears throat> I know Chelsea's definitely had been having a lot of problems. I mean, yeah, it's just not going Graham's Potter's way, is it? I mean, we were all raving about him when he was at Brighton, and it's just not working out for him. And to make matters even worse, he also got Joe Felix, and he had his debut tainted, uh, got a red card too, which sucks. We'll see what happens in the next couple couple seasons. Yeah, we definitely um, will. Should I, say, should I say, you know, a couple months or so, because... If things are going like this, Grand Potter's not going to stay there long. 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, he made a really bold decision, you know, starting these youngsters and leaving on the bench the likes of Kovacic, Aubameyang, Kudabali, Aspilicueta, Kukurea. Uh, there was just so many players unused, but hey, it paid off. Uh, Crystal Palace isn't in the best form right now either, but hey, a win is a win. And <laughs> at the state Chelsea's in right now, I think they'll take it however they can. But now, I mean, let's move on to a game that I think all of us saw. Uh, Although I know you woke up early in the morning, although it wasn't that early in Philly, but bro, when I woke up, it was 5.30 in the morning, and I <laughs> I don't regret that decision, bro. The Manchester Derby did not disappoint. I will say, to me, it came with a bit of a surprise that United came out with the win, but it was well-deserved, bro. They were the better team on the, on the afternoon or on the morning, night, whatever you want to say. Um, they were just pressing them consistently. They had so many chances in the first half, just in their face, bro, a ton of pressure, a ton, a ton of chances, but... Yeah, I think once City scored that first goal in like the 60th minute of the second half, uh, people thought that it was gonna they were gonna run away with it. But no, it was the exact opposite, bro. What were your thoughts? Yeah, man. Uh, you know, so funny enough, uh, that morning I woke up literally when there was two minutes left to play. <laughs> so that's that's when I started watching it. Um, but. What I did do is, you know, since the broadcast wasn't over, I was able to rewind it all. So I just rewinded it all and watched the game from the beginning. Obviously, I knew what the score was already, but I wanted to see, you know, what you saw, which was just that, you know, United dominating, United pressing, uh, the way they were playing one-touch football, uh, breaking down, you know, City's press as well. <clears throat> uh, sure, they didn't keep a lot of possession, but they had they got the ball when it mattered, and they came out winners. Sure, there's some controversy uh, in there, but I'll take it. Um, I'll take that win. I I don't mind it at all. It was fantastic. It was a fantastic game. You know, it, it sees what Ten Hag. You know, it just shows what Ten Hag is doing at the club, uh, and what was needed in that club, for sure. Yeah, bro. Let's talk about that controversy real quick. Although you're. Our- Resident ref here on 1960 plus. I mean, that first goal to draw him back 1-1. We all know the play. We all know what happened. So I'm just going to pose the question to y'all. Did Rashford keep uh, Fernandes offside or off onside in, y- in you guys' opinion? All right. So, so before, I want to ask before all the... I, I didn't get to watch the game, but... So I can't say whether United was the deserving winner or not. But from what I've heard, there's been ex-players... Like the ex-professional players, ex, I think one or two ex-referees have stuck their head out and said that that goal should not have counted. And those guys know football way better than we do. So I don't, I, no disrespect to all though, but his opinion at this point to me doesn't matter because those guys, if they say it's all, it, it should have been ruled out, then I, I believe those guys more. And, you know, uh, the replay I saw, I mean, I thought it should have been out. I thought it was. I thought it should have been ruled out. I mean, I I, I don't know. Like we see those kind of goals get ruled out all the time. So I really don't know what VAR or the ref or any of them are really thinking. So yeah, you know that's fair. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I I'm being 100 percent honest here. When when I ref or when I get asked refing questions, I, you know I gotta go by what I know and what I'm. What, uh, how I interpret the law as well. And to me, I would have raised my flag in that outside. Sure, he didn't touch it, but there was a clear intention that he was playing the ball. Um, and, you know, and then that's why 
And that whole thing that you saw in the game where the center ref talked to the, you know, side ref, that, that does happen. And, you know, you are able to kind of talk amongst each other and say, Hey, this is what I saw. What did you see? And then come to a decision. It, it sounds like that's what they did. Uh, it sounds like, you know, they talked about, did he interfere? Did he actually touch it? Um, did, did he rechange the play? They said no. And then, you know, VAR comes into play that there too, you know, because VAR, I think they review any scoring. Like, they review anything leading up to the goal. So they could have, you know, came in and said, hey, we saw something different. T- take a further look at it, whatever. But to me, yeah, I, I would have raised my flag. But, again, it's my club. <laughs> so I don't mind it, especially the derby, you know. Um, you know what this decision reminds me of? It reminds me of uh, Spain versus France uh, Nation League final where Eric Garcia, I guess, well, I forgot the play exactly, but I remember Eric Garcia, I guess they said he tried to play the ball. So since he tried to play the ball, he kept the player onside. And Eric Garcia's like, well, what am I supposed to do? I don't know. He's offside. Am I just supposed to let the ball go through? It reminds me of that. I'm not saying it's the same type of play, but it reminds me of that controversy where everyone's like thinking one thing, and then what they do on the what the refs decide on the pitch is completely different. And it's, I thought it was pretty obvious to everyone that it's like, yeah, it's offside. It shouldn't, it shouldn't have counted. So just like y'all, I'm in agreement. I'm no ref. Uh, by the little research that I did, apparently you have to look at if Rashford interfered with the play at all. And yes, he didn't technically touch it, like Aldo mentioned. But I got to agree with the fact that I think he, even his intention and his running next to the ball or with the ball, it kind of threw Kyle Walker off and he had to adapt to his run, especially at the very last second when he just laid it off for Rashford, or for, excuse me, for Fernandes. But that alone, I think that interferes with the play. Again, I'm no ref, I'm no expert, but from the little research and knowledge that I have and by the way the play went, yeah, I would have raised my flag, um, but I don't know why VAR ruled it back. I don't know why the center ref uh, decided it was a goal. Uh, only he knows that answer, but nevertheless, I honestly don't think it would have made a difference in this game. I mean, after that, there was a moment of brilliance from Garmacho to feed Rashford, who was a man, who's honestly, bro, a man on fire at the moment. I think if this Rashford was starting for England in the World Cup, we'd be talking about a different World Cup uh, turnout right now, but, you know, just brilliant by... Uh, Rashford, Garmacho, Luke Shaw, he continues to shine at center back, bro. Two tackles, two aerials, one and six clearances. Although, how do you feel about that, bro? I mean, I know Maguire is way down the pecking order now. He's got now got like four other center backs in front of him, but I think Luke Shaw, Luke Shaw is doing a really good job there. Oh, yeah, dude. Um, you know, I wasn't that surprised when Ten Hag actually put him as center back a couple games ago. And, I, I mean, to be fair, I did it in FIFA, and it worked really, really well. <laughs> but, I mean, if FIFA's no indicator that's going to work in real life, you know. But, you know, Ten Hag decided to do that. And, yeah, it's it's worked really well. I mean, Luke Shaw has defensive qualities, um, and he also has attacking qualities. I think he's a really well, well, well-rounded player and, and, you know, defender. And, but, yeah, you know, there's it just shows what the manager, you know, he gives when a, when a player has the manager's trust, regardless of who you play, they will always shine. I will say that. Yeah, man. Not just not just Luke Shaw, but uh, Malasia. He stepped up really well into that left back spot. Uh, three tackles, two interceptions, and five clearances. But I think we all know who the man of the match is. 
Marcus Rashford, one goal, two shots on target, three shot creating actions. Bro, this United squad, they're just, I don't know, I feel like they're on this trajectory to potentially challenge Arsenal, and I know that's a big ask, but as of right now, you know, they're only one point behind second place City, and they can shorten the gap with Arsenal even more because they play Arsenal next week. That'll What a game that'll be, but if they win, they can draw back within six points over a win, with a win over Arsenal, so... I don't know, man. It's kind of all up in the air, but if they continue this trajectory, I mean, we didn't even mention Casemiro, who once again looks like the best uh, defensive midfielder in the Premier League, in my opinion. Not just his defensive abilities, but the way he's able to pick a pass out or a dang a pass way up to the pitch, just split two or three lines of defense or the midfield. It's uh, it's so underrated, and this is the exact player the United fans have been crying out for years, and now that they got the likes of him, Fernandes, uh, Marcus Rashford with the form that he's on. Yeah, I think a title challenge could be on potentially, but I think we'll have a more clear answer once next week's match with Arsenal is wrapped up. Yeah, man, I'm excited for it. I mean, Ten Hag was, you know, in his one of his press conferences, he was letting everyone know like that's not where he feels or he thinks the team is there is there yet. But like you said, they're going in that trajectory for sure. It's only a matter of time for you know that they get there. <clears throat> couple more kinks to figure out, you know, like with the striker, you know, I love Marshall. He's a, you know, he's a really good presser um, under Ten Hag. He works well within the system, but he's been having a lot of fitness issues, which is, you know, a big bummer, but it's definitely going that way. And I can confidently say, you know, if things go United way where Arsenal gets, you know, lose a couple more points and so does City, we could be, you know, winning the title. I think it's within their their grasp for sure. Yeah, and depth is so key to uh, contending for championships and titles. And as much as we can sit here and laugh about Vaghorst, I think he's the exact type of player and the exact type of type of depth that United need right now. But yeah, just I guess we just have to wait and find out. Uh, where do y'all want to go next? We mentioned Arsenal. We can talk about them uh, beating Spurs and another derby. Y'all just want to go there. I wanted to ask you about City. Like, I think Pep said after the match, he said we need to figure out a way to involve our forwards more. Uh, and we, we've heard that all the time. I think we heard it earlier in the season. I think it was DeBron, DeBron or someone else. They said uh, Hala needs to get more involved in the link-up and build-up play. I guess you know we kind of, I guess everyone kind of forgot about it because he was scoring so much goals. And then these past two games... I think the past two or three games he hasn't been scoring, so, you know, questions start to arise again. And, you know, I'm not saying he's a bad player or anything, but you just got to ask yourself what's, what's going on with City. Like, it seems like if it's not Holland, it's not really anyone else doing anything. Like, you guys think they've become too over-dependent on Holland? Because it seems like if it's not Holland doing anything, it's, then no one's doing anything. Bro, not, in, not only did Pep say that after the game... But he also said he doesn't care about winning the Premier League. That other he's won in the past. He wants other teams to win it. So I thought those were very interesting comments. Maybe he's focusing solely on the Champions League now. But to answer your question, bro, I mean, Holland kind of reminds me of Ronaldo in a sense that you know if he doesn't perform, the entire team doesn't perform. And I know that's a huge comparison. They're completely different players, and Holland has a lot of upside, especially at his age. But it's so weird how Pep last year went from playing in a system with virtually no number nine and just having a free-flowing attack up top and 
now quickly having to shift that to a focal point it is a big change and it is a big adjustment um, maybe they haven't adjusted to that all that well or maybe it's just easier for some teams like united to break that down into isolate players like holland especially when you got players or world-class center backs marking them you know they got veron luke shaw who put in a good work in this match uh lisandro martinez on the bench so i think if you just starve holland you potentially starve the entire city team yeah um you know you got to think about the style that pep plays too you know pep is very technical orientated orientated you know with passing and moving and a little bit of dribbling uh the way of passing one touch, two touch. Holland, he's a pure goal scorer. There's no denying that. And if you want to involve in that way, where there's more passing, more touches with the ball, it's uh, it's gonna be a bit harder because that's not the player Holland is. You know, he's the one that finishes the chances. He has to, he, yeah, he just has to find a way to incorporate that, but I, I, I wouldn't say to get his strikers more involved, you know? And I think I would say just focus on getting the striker in the right position at the end of whatever it is you do. I think he has got it. But I know it's only three games, but you guys think teams are just kind of figuring out Holland now? Like how they play and stuff? Or you guys think it's just that patch well I, th- I think it i think it's um that this i think it's a bad patch but i think this bad patch is one that pep guardiola created because i know he benched them for a couple games for you know a couple silly reasons something like that but i i think it's a bad patch for for holland see i kind of think that you when you play city you just got to come up with an anti-Holland plan in general. And I think teams are so focused in on that and they have all these stats and data to back them up from years, you know, whether it goes all the way back to when he was at uh, Arby Salzburg, in my opinion, on how he performs, uh, what situations he doesn't perform in and how you can isolate him and just completely starve him any, of any um, service. So I think teams, when they game plan for city they more so game plan for holland and we've seen it you know you starve holland you starve city it's kind of like uh i don't know i feel like every team has that type of player you know uh similar to real madrid if you can starve vinicius or benzema or both then you're gonna starve that entire squad and sadly for city you know it's not the entire 11 you have to worry about now it's more so just one player and that that pretty much shuts them down yeah i mean i think we can move on to arsenal tottenham now all right. What yeah. do we think of Tottenham? Shit. <laughs> what do we think of shit? Tottenham. And then I don't know what, what else it goes. I need to figure out the rest of that chant. Yeah, bro, what a game. Arsenal brothers seemingly running away with the, the title after beating Spurs. I mean, I will say the first goal was a bit of bad luck. Ugo Lloris, what a blunder he had. But... Man, I mean, Odegaard, bro, what a banger. That guy is, I think he has eight goals in the Premier League now, just slowly rising up and making a mainstay. We talked about him putting him potentially in our team of the year last year. And if he continues in this trajectory, man, who's to say he's not going to make, you know, the team of the season or even the team of the year? Maybe, you know, future shortlist or top three in the Ballon d'Or. But, 
yeah, what a player this guy have, bro. Not just Odegaard, but that entire front three is so fluid and so beautiful to watch. You know, Saka, Martinelli, and Enketia uh, right now, which a lot of people thought that the squad would look a lot better with Jesus in it. Don't get me wrong. You put in Jesus, it's a completely different dynamic, but... Arteta's special, bro. We said this a while ago. Trust the process. And, you know, by trusting the process now, it's paying off. Yeah, I mean, once again, I didn't get to watch this game, but I did hear Arsenal dominated. And, oh, I saw, uh, what's his name? Odegaard. I think he has 13 goals and assists this season. He's tied with De Bruyne uh, as the midfielder with like the most goals and assists. So, yeah, what a season he's having. And, I mean, I guess we're uh, more than. Well, there's a couple things because there's the talk about Antonio Conte and that there's no guarantee he'll be here after the season. And then the Harry Kane's contract expires in 2024 and supposedly there's a couple teams interested in him. And I think he's gone on record to say that he won't be signing a new contract until Conte signs a new contract. And that if he doesn't, he'd want to see what the next um, coach's plan is and whatnot. And we know that I think what's the name? Uh, Bayern is really, really interested in. Yeah, I've heard they're gonna go after him hard in the in the summer. So, It'll be interesting to see what happens with Kane. But then, bro, well, but I mean Tottenham. I mean they won four 0 last week. But they've been in a real, I wouldn't say rough form, but really consistent form. Where you know some weeks they look real good, and in other weeks they look like complete trash. You know, and then I guess that's the frustration with both there. I think they, if they want him to stay, I mean, they really have to back him this summer. And I think, I say they need at least two more good defenders, you know. Uti Romero and Eric Dyer are good, but they need a couple. Like, I, I say at least one world class. So I think someone like Gabriel would do them good, but I doubt he'd go there. Yeah. They need a lot of reinforcements. Yeah, bro, Spurs are in the mud. Although you and I talked about this a couple weeks ago when we did our two-man pod, but yeah, I uh, I don't know where to. We need to do like our own our own rebuild episode with them one day. Yeah, we definitely do. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, it's just crazy how Spurs went. You know, from that period with Pochettino being Champions League finalist getting close to, to the Premier League as well. How they went from there to where they are now, you know. You were kind of like... A lot of people were saying that at that time, you know, they're eventually going to win the trophy within the next, you know, three, four, five seasons. Fast forward now, totally opposite. Totally opposite. They're back to where they were. All right, y'all. Should we move on to another very disappointing team in the Premier League? I mean, did y'all see that Brighton 3-0 upset over Liverpool? Oh, yeah, I saw Klopp said it was his worst loss in his managerial career, I think. I didn't watch the game, but I just saw that quote, and I was like, man, what happens? Yeah, bro, what a what an eventful day, man. I mean, Cody Gakpo, he got his first start in the Premier League. Uh, Brighton, they've pretty much blacklisted Leandro Trussard uh, due to attitude problems. Uh, Alex McAllister. It's his first start since the World Cup. Uh, it was good to have him back. But nah, dude, who would have guessed that, what is it, Sunny March and Danny Welbeck. Danny Welbeck, bro, what a what a beautiful goal. What a beautiful play. That uh, little flick over, I think it was Konate. That, and then the world-class finish. But just 
Three world-class yeah. goals by Brighton, bro. What went wrong for Liverpool, y'all? Yeah, that yeah, that you know, that one big goal, it was the third goal. You know, they've already had it pretty pretty much in the bag. Uh, and he, you know, the, the way he got that was just a cherry on top to a fantastic evening for Brighton. It just shows you that, you know, it just kind of makes me think a little bit now. It's like for Brighton, at least, and for Graham Potter, who needed who or who made who? You know? Like, the, is, uh, is Brighton a product of Potter or is Potter a product of Brighton? Damn, bro, that's a good-ass question. I mean... You guys think we're being too harsh on Liverpool? Granted, they have like three or four, maybe five players out injured at the moment. But, I mean, that squad, it's still world-class. And I don't know. I think uh, we can sit here and make excuses for them. But on paper, you know, they should at least be able to contest with a team like Brighton. And the fact that Brighton and what was um, Potter now this said to be getting the most out of players like Caicedo, Lalana, um, Welbeck. It's just, it speaks volumes to this this recruitment squad and to this uh, the system they play in. I think the system is very underrated. Um, but yeah, I think it's more so just Liverpool shot the bed. And it's interesting because next week, uh, Liverpool, I think they're in ninth and Chelsea are in 10th. And they play each other next week. So, I mean, one can send the other even further down the table. And damn, I, none of us had this in our predictions at the start of the season. I mean, Liverpool, I think it was Carragher or Gary Neville. One of them, I think a week or two ago, said that. they. I think they described the best. They said, this Liverpool squad just looks like a, a squad, an aging squad. A squad that's, you know, it's aging. Uh, I don't know how else to describe that. They just look aging, you know. Like, I think, how would I say? I think they just, they peaked already, and now it's just a downfall. Like, I don't know. I mean, we talked about it before. Like, last, was it this past season, they played every game they possibly could. And we know the type of football they play, the very, very, very high-intensity football. They like to press high, get the ball, and dominate games, like, for the whole 90 minutes. And then, and we know last year, you know, final Champions League, final of the FA Cup, final of the Carabao Cup. Uh, they were fighting for the league up until the last day as well. So, and then you you take that that it was a backup. It was coming off a COVID season that was very, I think, tight packed. And then last season was two, and then now this season is also very tight because of the World Cup. So it's just like, I th- I think the players just need a, a break. But it's also I think the age factor. A lot of them are pretty are getting up there in age. So yeah. Yeah, uh, most definitely. I think, again, yeah, like you just said, so to more to your point there, Liverpool's a product. Liverpool's situation right now is a product of their own success, you know. The, and at the same time, their lack of preparation. Because, you know, they, sure, they got some injuries, but they could, they could have prepared better. For Sadio Mane's departure, they could have prepared, you know, more for this aging squad. Where if you're going to play that high intensity football with this aging squad, injuries are going to happen. 
you know, a cramp here, a cramp there. Um, and then, you know, next thing you know, the player's out for a couple weeks, a couple, maybe even months. So I think it's a lack of their pre- preparation because they felt so confident based on their years before. Um, and I guess also about, a, you know, a lack of support from that Jurgen Klopp gets from the board over at Liverpool because I know they're, they're maybe going through a transition period. I think I heard something like that. If they were going to sell. Could be wrong. Yeah, bro, and it does not get any easier for Klopp and Liverpool after this game. I mean, as I mentioned, they play Chelsea next week. They play Brighton again in the FA Cup. And then after that, they got to play Wolves in the Premier League. And people are going to say that's a walk in the park compared to the t- games they've had recently. But we saw how much Wolves pushed Liverpool in the FA Cup recently. So that'll be a really good match. Then they got their town rivals, Everton. Uh, third place Newcastle. Then after that, they got Real Madrid in the Champions League. It's just, it just seems like there's no break in sight for Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool. But yeah, man, uh, I don't feel bad for them at all. I think they reinforced pretty well, especially in the attacking area. They prepared for the departures of Salah, Firmino, and Mane pretty pretty well with uh, you know likes of Gakpo, Diaz, Jota, um, Carvalho, and so on. I think it's just really where they're struggling is the midfield. They need another world-class midfielder in there. You know, Henderson's getting up in age. Fabinho's not the same player he was last year or two years ago. It's pretty much just Thiago trying to uh, string everything together, and he can't do it on his own. He's getting up there in age as well. So I think Liverpool should go back into the market in the summer and try and get themselves a world-class midfielder. Maybe Jude Bellingham fixes this Liverpool squad. I don't know if he wants to go there with the way they're playing right now. But... Yeah, I mean, we just got to wait and see. Yeah, just to add to that point earlier, although just say they are looking to sell FSG, the, uh, the people that own them, they are looking to sell. I've heard they're li- I don't know if they're looking to sell, but they are listening to bids, and I guess if the right price comes along, they'll sell. They, yeah, I mean, Klopp said it himself. He said, I think reporters kept asking him, like, do you think you need more reinforcements? I think he just said no. So we don't need more reinforcements. And, you know, in my head, it doesn't make sense because that midfield definitely needs some rejuvenation. But apparently Klopp doesn't see it that way. And I guess I understand it because, you know, on one hand, the type of player they demand, they probably go like after someone that's world-class or on their way to becoming world-class. And then, you know, once those other players come back from injury, it's like, where do you fit them all? Then you have some un- unhappy players. Uh, it just creates like a big mess. So on one hand, I understand them, but on the other hand, it's like their midfield's been struggling for such a long time. They definitely need someone else in there, in my opinion. All right, y'all. We've been on the Premier League for a while now, but any other matches or points I want to mention before we move on? Well, I want to give a quick shout-out to uh, some smaller teams. Uh, for example, Austin Villa. They keep the good times rolling over there in Villa Park with a 2-1 win over Leeds. Bro, Emery and... Honestly, bro, I got to give Saul credit here. He's the one that brought him. Not on. We all know who Emery is, or yeah, when I Emery is, we all, he well, we all had him on our radar, but we never knew how world class he was, especially after he got sacked by Arsenal until Via Real, and even now, some more with uh, with Austin Villa, that very tight, disciplined four four two. It's proven to be very effective for Villa. I mean, Leon Bailey, he looks like a man reborn under Emery. Alex Moreno, who just signed from Betis, he got his first start in the Premier League for Villa in this match, and it was a really good debut. Emmy Martinez, he's reciprocating his World his World Cup form, which is good to see. That keeps Villa in contention. But 
yeah, bro, this Villa squad, I would watch out for uh, this squad come next season. They can maybe be a West Ham, you know, that was the West Ham from last season, just surprising everyone, uh, top six finish. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah, man, they just knew a couple transfers, and I think, I mean, we say that about all the teams, but I, I truly, I think if they short up their center backs and maybe one, uh, one, uh, not necessarily world-class striker, but one really good striker and maybe another solid midfield. I think they'd they'd be um, they'd be pretty solid. I, w- I would say they're in contention for Europe next year if they make the right moves. You know, and then one team we've been saying would be in contention for Europe for a couple of seasons now if they got the right moves is Newcastle, and they've done just that. They got a win over Fulham this past week. It was a late winner by one of their new boys, Alexander Isak. I think it was in like the 89th or 90th minute, which is pretty cool. Keeps them in contention for the top three right now. Um, and then I want to give a quick shout out to James Ward-Prowse. If you guys ask me, I have no idea what he's been doing at Southampton for the amount of time he's been there. That man is world-class. He deserves to be on a much better team than Southampton. No disrespect to Southampton, but yeah. They got the win over Everton 2-1. Um, also want to quickly mention that there was threats made to the Everton, I think it was the board of directors or the owners, you know, they were instructed not to come to the match in person because of those threats. So they stayed home and I'm kind of glad they stayed home because as we all know, Southampton won 2-1 and it could have turned real ugly really, really quick, but there's no need for that. Uh, there's no place for that in football. Um, but yeah, I think uh, James Ward-Prowse, he's the one big takeaway in that match. What a what a performer. I mean, it's no surprise Everton lost again. I've been saying it. I said this is the beginning of the season. I said, I don't believe in Frank Lampard as a coach. And I was laughed at. I was called, I was told I didn't know football. <laughs> Look at where he has Everton now, 19th place. They just lost the 20th place, Southampton. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Bro, you you want to laugh that as sack, hard as me? I think the, I think the sack it should have already been there, but I I really don't know what's going on. I don't know why Lampard's still there, but you know, the more he's there, the more I gotta rub it in. Oh. You know, it's funny. After Southampton beat Everton, they were only able to draw with them on points, and they're still not above them on the table. They're still in last place in the Premier League. But, anyways. Yeah, that's the Premier League. So y'all, y'all want to move on to a different league? Maybe like Serie A or something? Before we move on, I was just going to quickly say West Ham, relegation zone as well, 18th place. I mean, we we all said at the beginning of the season, we said, when we saw them, that we were all like, yeah, they'll eventually, you know, get out of there, move up to like European spots. And it looks like we were all wrong. It doesn't even look like they're going to qualify for Europe next year unless they win the Conference League, I think they're in, so... Yeah, just want to add that. Yeah, man, when you're losing to Wolves, you know things are bad. Well, granted, Wolves have been better since they appointed um, Lopetegui, but yeah, not the position they want to be in. All right, y'all. Bundesliga is yet to return action, although they returned action this week, this weekend. But yeah, there's Serie A, La Liga, Ligue 1, although your favorite league. <laughs> Where do y'all want to go? I said we should get Ligue 1 out the way, because... Oh, PSG lost, I think. I'm pretty sure PSG lost. They, yeah. They did lose, actually. They suffered only their second loss of the season so far, bro. And 
Yeah, Len, they lost to Renz, who are currently in fifth place. Um, this to me was bizarre because both Messi and Neymar started, and Mbappe started on the bench. Uh, I don't know. I think that the game was lost in midfield. 16-year-old Warren Zari Emery started in midfield alongside Vitinha. You know, granted, they don't have uh, Verratti available, but still, I think they could have played maybe Sarabia, maybe Carlos Soler, uh, but they gave the start to the inexperienced 16-year-old. But, yeah, only their second loss of the season. And second place, Lens. I think they won their game. No, it's not Lens. Yeah, it is Lens who's in second place. So now PSG is only clear of the top of the table by three points. That's a, <laughs> that's yeah. just one game. And, yeah, man, I'm pretty surprised. We'll see what happens at the end of the season. But, yeah, it's, like you said, three points. Three points. That's that's how close they are. They're basically sniffing their butt. Someone you might put a finger up. in it, too. Wake them up a bit. <laughs> yeah, Lens, Lens, however you pronounce it, three points behind, you know. As we always do, we always cheer against the state-owned clubs. So I hope PSG doesn't win the league. I hope this awful form continues for them. So, yeah. I mean, they look at Marseille. They've won their last five games on, in a row. They're only five points behind. So, uh it's actually a pretty interesting race this year, it looks like, so far. Yeah. You know? Yeah. As we all know, eventually PSG just hits a farm where they just don't lose for like five, ten games in a row, and then these other teams start slipping. So, yeah, who knows? This year might be different. Yeah, bro, Marseille 3-1 win over Lorient. Bro, Alexis Sanchez, he's slowly recuperating his form from like his prime Arsenal days. Eight goals now in league on. Not only him, but... Ser Kolasinac, who's been very solid for them. Chinga Sunder, who's been a man reborn in Marseille. We all know what Matteo Ganduzi has been doing for the last couple of years there. But, yeah, they're an exciting team right now. Also, there was a lot of big scoring matches in, or a lot of high-scoring matches in Liga this past week. Morocco, or excuse me, Monaco, they whooped a Hatsio 7-1. With some Ben Yedder, he got a hat-trick. Mbolo, uh, he got a brace. Lille, they beat Throins 5-1. I already mentioned Marseille, three, Lorient, one. But the one thing that's surprising me in Lyon right now is Olympic Lyon, they lost, and now they're all the way down in ninth place. I mean, bro, what's happened to that club? It's a club that was, you know, I think in the Champions League semifinals not too long ago and pushing PSG really close to the top of the table. They got the likes of Lacassette, Tagliafico, uh, Toliso in their squad right now, but nothing seems to be clicking for them. So I'm not sure if any of you guys keep up with Lyon or Lyon specifically, but... What do y'all think is going on with that? I think it's that they lost the pie. Because I, I know that I think that's the second second or third season with all them. But the pie, I think, was the bench of that team. I think he let them goals and assists like most of the years he was there. So I think that's the big problem. They lost their creator and finisher, and they haven't been able to replace it. So I think that's what happened. Yeah, bro, that's a really good answer, actually, and I think that's the only right answer. But, yeah, that's the gong. Uh, I guess we'll get the other boring one out of the week. I guess that's La Liga by default because their two Giants weren't in contention this past week. But I guess after that we can talk about the Supercopa as well. But let's start with La Liga. Uh, While Barca, Madrid, Betis, and Valencia were all away, Atletico, they drew 1-1 with Almeria in their first game without Joao Felix. 
I don't want to say it's all because they didn't have Jao Felix because they still got the likes of Griezmann, um, Morata, and a few other world-class players in there. But, yeah, I expected more from them, honestly. Sociedad, they beat Athletic Club 3-1. Celta Vigo and Villarreal, they tied 1-1. Espanyol beat Hetafe 2-1. I want to give a little bit of attention to this game specifically because Cesar Montes, he got his first start in the league in a back three, which is a bit surprising, but... No, he did really well. One tackle, three blocks, two interceptions, and 15 clearances. The second most touches on the team with 50, uh, 72% pass accuracy. And yeah, bro, honestly, ever since he started playing for Espanol, he's kind of lifted them up a little bit, solidified them defensively. Uh, I don't think they're that high up the table, but I think they're a mainstay in La Liga, and they're looking even better with him. Yeah, they're a little gauge in so now. Given, you know, it changes every week, but... Dude, look at Sevilla. Surprisingly, Sevilla nineteenth place. They're in relegation zone. It's not looking good, but as I said, you know the relegation zone is so close. Uh, you know it switches every week. But, yeah, that's surprising. Elche, they won. Dude, Elche has won zero games, uh, lost twelve, drawn five, and they only have five points in La Liga. That's that's awful. <laughs> I'm glad they're getting relegated, bro. They don't add anything to La Liga. Now, did you see Atletico Madrid is interested in the pie? Yeah. I mean... It's it's crazy. Bro, we've seen this so many times again. Uh, Freaking, they signed David Villa from Barcelona. They won the league. Then they signed Suarez from Barcelona. They won the league. Man, if they they signed the pie, who's to say they're they're not going to win La Liga next year? Well, I mean, it's complicated because supposedly they offered Lamar in exchange and Barca said no, that they wanted Carrasco. And then Atletico Madrid came back and said, we're not giving you guys Carrasco. You guys have to pay at least $50 million for him. And, you know, obviously Barca isn't going to do that. But Barca's like the only player we're interested in exchanging the pie for is Carrasco. And then but now it's come out with that Atletico Madrid said they don't want to pay. They're going to pay zero. That they will, that they don't want to pay anything or exchange anyone for the pie, and that the only way they'd get the pie right now is if they, uh, is if Barca lets them go for free, which is ridiculous because you know we don't have, uh, we don't have to let them go. I mean, if they want it for free, they can wait six months. But it's just, it's very surprising to me because a lot of Atletico, not even Atletico fans, just Atletico and neutral fans, are like, oh, why are Barca like, you know, being assholes and all this stuff, and it's just like. Barca doesn't owe it to the pie to let him go for free right now. It just makes no sense. It's like, why would you strengthen a direct rival that's currently fighting for Champions League spots? It's like, why, why would you do that? It just makes no sense to let the pie go for free right now to um, Atletico Madrid when you can potentially you know, get maybe a bit of money for him. It's like, if they want him for free, then they can wait six months. There's no need to let him go right now, in my opinion. Especially given the recent track record with them letting go players like Suarez and Villa in the past to Atletico. But yeah, bro, Athletic, or Atletico Madrid and Barca, they don't have the best track record as far as business go. I mean, we all know the great transfers that have gone from Barcelona to Atletico. There's also been some downright disgraceful transfers that have gone from Atletico to Barca in recent history. I mean, Griezmann, Duran, just name a few that quickly come to my head. But yeah. Yeah, dude, Atletico. Atletico Madrid has stiffed us in the last few transfers. You know, we bought Arta Turan from them for $30 million. It was a complete waste. 
We bought Griezmann. We gave them. We probably gave him 130 for Griezmann, and then let's call them. Then we gave him back, and then they're like, "Oh, well, we're not going to pay play him because we don't want to pay 40 million." So we saw like, "All right, we'll take 20 or 25 million." And then now they're trying to stiff us for Depay now. You know, they're acting as I don't know. They're just acting like pompous dicks, bro. Like it's just like. For some reason, they're acting like they're doing us a favor. Like, oh, we'll take the pie right now for free. That's the only way we'll take him. It just, it, it makes no sense to, I guess the hand they're trying to play makes no sense. It's just like, if you want it for free, uh, hopefully you get him in six months when he's free to negotiate. Or he's already free to negotiate with any club. But, you know, he's a free agent officially in July. It's like, it's like you can get him then if you want him to. It just makes no sense how they're like, we want it for free right now. That's the only way we're getting him. It's like, it's like we currently have Lewandowski suspended, Ferran suspended. It's like, so, and we're in a lot of all the competitions. So it's like, we'll take any depth we can. So it's it just, I guess I'm just really confused in the hands. That's what because trying to play, but yeah, it's just weird. And I hope we stick to our guns and we're, we don't let the pie go for free. Yeah, before we get to the Supercopa, I want to quickly mention Sevilla because me personally, I praise them starting the season. I mean, bro, they got so many world-class attackers. Even right now with having Tecatito Corona injured, I mean, they got the likes of... I'm not going to go through all of them because I can be here all day listing all their attackers, but I think the main reason why they're down in relegation zone right now is because they didn't really replace Jules Kunde and Diego Carlos at the start of the season. And I mean, yeah, attack is nothing if you can't have a defense to keep possession. So I think that's why they're down there. Um... But yeah, anything else before we go to the Supercopa? No. All right, boy. How about that El Clasico? And I know everyone at home is going to be like, oh, Christian and Soul War Barca fans, it's a, it's a money grab tournament. It's the equivalent of the Community Shield. Bro, no Clasico is no Clasico. And both teams had their starting t- like A teams out there. And there's no such thing as a friendly whenever Real Madrid and Barcelona play each other. So... And we've seen it so many times again. Uh, I think the last El Clasico last season, Barca whooped uh, Real Madrid 3-1 or 4-1. I think it was embarrassing, but yeah, they've done it again. They did it in a friendly in the summer and here in the States. But yeah, bro, do you do you think Xavi has uh, Ancelotti's number? Well, I wouldn't say he has his number because we did lose the Clasico earlier this season, but you could, you could play that on many factors such as they had just got eliminated from Champions League, and you know, there's really no excuses in a classical bit. You know, it's like I just feel like that team was not motivated. I felt like if we hadn't played that classical that week, but like another week or two, I feel we would have played much better, maybe even one bit. I wouldn't, I mean, I guess you could kind of say he has a number because I mean, Ancelotti hadn't lost a final since 2010, and I think it was his, his mo with this. Madrid era that he started, I think, a year ago. The only time he's lost by multiple goals. He's only lost two times by multiple goals, and it was just Xavi. So, I mean, I guess you could say he has his number, but at the same time, uh, I don't know. It, yeah, it was an interesting final, nevertheless, as you said. It's a classical, regardless. Uh, Real Madrid was missing some players. Notably, they were missing Shalmeni and Al- Alaba. It, it doesn't matter, you know. It's like I, I think I think Xavi played it smart. He without Chalmany there, he just um, you know they wouldn't have as much control. So 
he played with that extra midfielder there, and that really helped them. Uh, that really helped him control the midfield and practically dominate the game. And yeah, I mean, Barcelona looked good. Real Madrid didn't look good. I don't mean, I don't know what was wrong with Real Madrid. Like, I, I don't know what's wrong with them. Their fans have been saying this is how they've been playing ever since the since they've come back from the World Cup. So. Yeah, I don't know. You just—I mean, I hope Amateur doesn't pull it together, but you know they eventually will. I hope this form for Amateur carries on for quite some time. Yeah, man, you and me both. But Barca, bro, you mentioned having that extra player in the midfield, which in this case was Gavi. Gavi, man of the match, by the way. But not only him, but so many players played well for Barcelona in this game. Alejandro Balde, I think a lot of people were surprised to see him start in this game because Alba just has so much more experience. But he played really well. Usman Dembele on that right-hand side. We all know Araujo, who had a world-class performance. He's like the anti-Vinicius plan, and it worked to a T. But not only him, but Dembele, he was so defensively disciplined in this game, too. Anytime the attack would go out to the left-hand side, Araujo, he'd play almost like a third center back, and Dembele would tuck in, playing like a left back almost. He's just been so disciplined under Xavi, and I love to see that. Lewandowski obviously got a goal. Pedri played really well. Frankie de Jong, who I think was the best midfielder on the night, he was the man that was just distributing the ball from and transitioning from defense to attack all afternoon long. I mean, I guess that's exactly why they dominated, because so many players for Barcelona played so well against this Real Madrid team where players like Benzema didn't show up. Vinicius didn't show up, Modric and Kroos didn't show up, but no, I think Tiki Taka was on full display in this match. They kind of brought it back a bit, and just having that extra midfield in the mid in the pitch served really well to have them, you know, just spraying passes all around. Rama Dribbler just running circles around them. They couldn't find possession at all, but no, it was a great performance, and uh, I think Terry Henry said it best. Uh, everyone in Europe fears Real Madrid, but Real Madrid at this moment, they fear Barcelona. Granted, we're in the Europa League this season, but next season with this experience and this um, camaraderie around the squad right now, I think it can just be elevated to a whole another level. So I'm excited to see what goes on next season in European competitions like the Champions League. Yeah, I think you cover cover it all, but yeah, I think I think the biggest difference was our defensive line. I mean, people I remember bashing Barca earlier when they crashed out of Champions League and. Like, I mean, I said it, you said it, we're all like, man, like, like half our defense is gone. Like, our defense is, you know, a major part. And I think they showed it this game, but people are like, oh, that's no excuse. Everyone goes through injury. But, I mean, we're missing our three best center backs and Bunde, Christensen, and Araujo. So, yeah, I mean, I guess this game proved how crucial they are. And, I mean, they didn't even show in the Bayern game. Um, you know, we had our best defenders there, and we played really good versus Bayern. Um, we, you, you can make the argument we should have won. We missed a couple chances, but I think that game proved that when fully healthy, uh, this Barca team can compete against anyone in the world. Yeah, bro, you mentioned it right there. Andres Christensen, for me, he's been the signing of the summer. Just no drama, no behind-the-scenes talk about his attitude or anything like that. Just pure solid world-class footballer and honestly on his best day he's probably our best defender i th- you know i think he's better than a little bit better than kunde on his best day uh araujo i think we all know is one of barca's best defenders and a future captain but no, i think he's right up there with him and the fact that we got him under free is just speaks volumes to barca's recruiting staff so 
I'm really happy with him. I think I'm the happiest with him out of all of our summer signings. But yeah, uh, hopefully we can reciprocate this form in the league and Europa League because the way Barcelona's playing right now and the way Manchester United's playing right now, that Europa League game for the round of, what, 32 is it? It just looks like one of the matches of the year so far. Granted, we're only in February, but I'm pretty sure a lot of people are going to watch that game just because of how well these two teams are playing. Yeah, I guess Serie A and then Yeah, we'll just get through really. I mean, Serie A is pretty easy, bro. I mean, last week we mentioned how, you know, what the hell is Juventus doing up in second place. Napoli completely humbled them. Kwiatkowicz, uh, Kelia uh, had a brilliant performance. Did y'all see that, bro? He attempted a bicycle kick and I think it was deflected off the post or saved or something like that, but Victor Olsenman picked up the pieces. But no, nah, bro, Napoli, what a performance against Juve. Y'all see that? Dude, yeah, five one. That was, that was crazy. <laughs> it just, you know, whatever hope we had for Juve, I think this just knocked it right out of the park. I think whatever we were like, oh yeah, Juventus this, Juventus that. I mean, last week we said, I, I said I was like, I hope they don't win, but I could see them making a run. But whatever hope I had for them, this, this Napoli team just knocked it out the park. I mean, Napoli just, oh, well, they just dominated for ninety minutes. It was crazy. It was crazy how how much better they looked for than Juventus, and I think at this point we would we could um, say that Napoli is truly the best team in Serie A. Yeah, yeah make the argument for in the world, but I wouldn't go that far yet. I don't know, man. They lost today in PKs. Yeah, but they were playing so, like the E team, though. Don't matter, bro. If you want to be the best in the world, you got to have a, you know, a good, a really good, you know, E team to support your A team. Um, I suppose, but I don't, I I feel like this is for like, it's like the same for any other big team. They don't really care, bro. It's just like, I think their priorities for most teams are league and Champions League. And then if they can win a domestic cup or two, they're fine with it. But I don't think it's their priorities. I don't think, I might be wrong, but I don't think they dread it for days. They're not like, man, we lost the, the Carabao Cup or something like that. You know, it's not. At the end of the day, I don't think it's something they truly care about. Like, at the end of the season, you know, if they win the Champions League and their own league, I don't think they're, they're thinking, like, man, the Carabao Cup, I wish we had won that. I don't think they think that. They're just like, man, we won the League of Champions. So I think that's how I think they said. That could be wrong, you know? No, bro, they put up. A- Good amount of distance between them and the rest of the pack in Serie A, which is what I think they'd really want because it's been a long time since they won the Serie A. But no, they knocked Juve back to third place. They're 10 points ahead of them, nine points ahead of AC Milan. AC Milan, bro, didn't they draw this past week? Yeah, they drew yeah, they were... to Lecce, man. Samuel Umtiti's team, bro, what the hell? <laughs> I've heard Umtiti's actually been doing pretty good. Yeah, he has been. It's just it's crazy to hear. Where are they at right now? Uh, they're not in relegation zone, bro. They're other oh, mid-table, fourteenth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty decent for them. But yeah, they drew with AC Milan, who a lot of people did not expect, or what a lot of people did not expect. Uh, the other side of Milan, Inter, they won against Hellas Verona, one nil. Lautaro Martinez scoring in the third minute. Uh, where's Inter in the table? Fourth place, not bad. <laughs> they're tied on points with Juve. That's funny. But anyways, uh, yeah, there was that. 
Dybala, he scored a brace to give Roma the win over Fiorentina, which is nice to see. But this one, this one I want to talk about, bro. Atalanta 8, Salernitana 2. And for all you Mexican fanboys out there saying that Ochoa was the solution to 2026 and he's going to captain our squad in that tournament, I'm glad this happened because this, if anything, humbled all you guys and gave y'all a reality check that Ochoa is indeed the past. He's not the present, and he's definitely not the future for Mexico or, I guess, uh, Mexican football in general. And, yes, he's been performing well besides this. Granted, not everything was his fault in this game. But, yeah, it's a reality check. He's... 38 years old right now he's playing in a struggling uh side in city and yeah he should be nowhere near the the mexican squad in 2026 yeah i mean i agree with you on the points that um he shouldn't be in a squad anymore but i don't think this can all be put on him you know i mean their defense has been so suspect for the last well ever since he got there i mean he, he made 16 saves in two games. That tells you all you need to know about the defense. I think it was it was just time before something like this happens. You know, a truck can only save them so much. And I do agree with you that he shouldn't be in the squad no more. But kind of saying, the way you, you worded it kind of made it sound like it was all a trust fault, but, which I disagree on. But I do, I do agree with you. I don't think he should be anywhere near the squad anymore. We need to move on, but... Yeah. Bro, and then did y'all see the performance Carlos Acevedo had for Santos this past week in Liga MX? <laughs> no, I didn't see it. Bro, I've been watching a lot of Liga MX so far. Yes, sir. It's been pretty yeah, entertaining. Won. Santos won 3-0 against Pumas. It was yeah. good to see it, you know, after their first match where they lost <clears throat> against Tigres. So that was good to see bounce back. Bro, we talk about Liga, Liga MX. You saw that... Um, I like to see it because it means a mentality shift is going on. But supposedly, America was after Omar Campos, that back from Santos, and Kevin Alvarez from uh, Pachuca, right back from Pachuca. I'd say Omar Campos is often considered by scouts one of the best upcoming left backs in the world. So, yeah, it was just both of them rejected America pretty much. Both of them, like, said they wanted to go to Europe, but I didn't want to go to another Liga Mekis team, which, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see because it's the mentality I like to see in players. You know, even though Kevin Alvarez is technically not that young anymore, I think he's 24, 25, you know, it's just a mentality I like to see in our players, you know, just that mentality if I want to go to Europe, I don't want to be going bouncing around to other Liga Mekis teams. So, yeah, I just, I just wanted to commend them on that mentality. Yeah, dude, most of, I mean, to be, like to be fair, Santos has always been up there with trying to export their homegrown talent, talent to Europe. I mean, just look at Arteaga, just look at Santi Muñoz, uh, and now with the likes uh, or the talks of Omar Campos, you know they produce well, an alcohol too. Like, dude, Omar Campos, I kind of been um, kind of been doing him dirty because supposedly two teams, you know, supposedly. Anderlecht or Anderlecht, a bouncer from Belgium. They offered, Feyenoord offered, and so did, um, there was some other Belgian team. There was three European teams at all. I think four. It was two Belgian, Feyenoord, and I think, I want to say Galatasaray. Okay. It was a Turkish team. 
they offered, and Santos rejected all of them, which, I mean, you, they, they have exported players, but they are doing Omar Campos dirty, I think. Yeah, I think he already has, like, 70 games in first division. I think he needs to go to Europe and keep developing. I mean, as I said, he's yeah. considered by scouts one of the biggest talents in the left-back position. So I think he needs to go there. Yeah, and something when you also didn't really take him, I think. Um, well, he, he went were, down they were, Yeah, but they, they were doing him 32 that I forgot what happened, but he practically left through the back door. Like, he practically forced his move and left through the back door because Santos didn't want to let him go. But I, I'll give him credit for that. Yeah, I, got the, I hope they let Omar Campos go soon, but. With the statements they've been making lately, it doesn't sound like it. Cause it, it sounds like they want to keep him for quite some time. Because statements they've been making are don't give me hope at all. It's I hope he lets his contract expire and leaves to Europe. Because otherwise, I don't think Santos is going to let him go. Bro, and on this topic, so I saw, and this was in the same day. Uh, Cruz Azul Monterrey and Toluca Club America. Not only the mentality in the clubs, and you know, not uh, giving a uh, giving into the money by big clubs like America and Monterrey, but the mentality in the media team around Mexico or the MX specifically right now in general, because especially in the Cruz Azul Monterrey game, they were bashing these teams for not having for for having a bunch of foreigners for not wanting to exploit their talent to Europe because they were talking about the likes of Romo, Charlie Rodriguez, and Antuna. I think Antuna he has a move lined up to Europe here pretty soon, but no, then he got even yeah, worse. No, Antuna had one and Cruz Azul didn't let him go. Who was it? Too? It was like to some. Uh, it was a great. It was an team, Eredivisie team. Oh yes, that was the one. That was the one. Yeah. Um, yeah, they didn't let him go. And just the wherewithal for the commentators to talk about this openly on air. I mean, granted, it's Univision, so or Tudene, wherever you're watching, so it's like an American point. I don't know how it. It's broadcasted in Mexico, but that's the American's perspective. But no, then it got even worse for Toluca and Club America because, you know, um, who was that one striker that's just signed from Pachuca? Ibanez, something like that. And, and they were just bashing them, saying how they've done this for years and years now, just, you know, buying the best players in the league or quote-unquote best young players, even though, even though they're not that young. And look to look at the success that's got in America recently. It's worked in the past, but it's not working recently. And... Yeah, the fact that they're aware of this and they're openly talking about it on the air, it's just, I'm so happy for this because this is the mentality that we need to have as fans of uh, Liga MX or just the fans of the national team in general because we are not going to succeed like this. So I'm glad we're openly talking about this and having these conversations because that's the first true step to change. And yeah, I just, I'm really happy this is going on and I'm happy players are forcing their moves out of Mexico and we're talking about this openly on air. So hopefully it leads to good things for the national team. Yeah, I agree. All right, y'all, yeah, let's move on to the pick I, <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Unless I, even, I got anything else to say. I mean, I didn't know that that was going on. So, yeah, that's awesome to hear. Because, yeah, I mean, we bashed, you know, all the, all the players are like for that, too, for their mentality. I just see it that it's it's kind of starting with with the outside organizations and some players as well. That's good. That's always good to see. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, while we're passionate Liga Mekis, or at least the teams, um, someone else brought up a good point. It's like we're willing, they're like willing to keep transferring. The, like, you know, teams are only around, I think, I forget how much felt foreigners, but they're only around a certain amount. But it's like someone was talking about it. It's like, dude, 
they keep on bringing these trash ass foreigners like Nacaxa, San Luis. All these teams will bring these trash ass um, foreigners that don't perform, but yet yeah, will still get moved around Liga Mekis. But it's like, what, what if instead of bringing those trash ass foreigners, you just start giving, you know, youth academy players some chances? Because I remember yesterday in the Nacaxa Leon game, I saw, I think, Nacaxa, they had brought in. Two of the foreigners they had brought in that were taking up um, minutes from young players. I think one of them was like either 30 or 60 games, and I think they had like I forget how much, but they, I don't. I want to say not even double-digit goals, which is just crazy. Yet you know that guy was still getting tossed around. Like it, it's just crazy how they'll, they'll keep tossing around the same foreigner players, but don't give these youth academy players any any chances and it's just like it, it makes no sense to me honestly like right now you hear like um america they want a new left back and right back and it's like why don't you just give one of your academy players a chance instead of because you know right now they've got to reject the back couple players already it's like you just it's like what's it going to cost to uh give an academy player a chance it, it, it's not going to cost you anything so it's just no, that, that's also what annoys me about Liga Mekis because it's just, it's like, just give them a chance. It makes no sense. Yeah, bro, if it can work out for Chelsea in the Premier League, it can work out for you in Liga Mex. Yeah, look, one, one of the players for Nakaksa, one of the foreigners that was taking up minutes from young players, he has nine games with Nakaksa, zero goals, and zero assistencias. But in his last 60 games in Liga Mekis, he's only scored four goals. And this guy, I think, was a winger. It's just it's crazy to think about this guy still getting opportunities all over Liga Amekis. But yeah, um, yeah, you know, some young academy player that looks good and promising won't cut anything. And one of the other foreigners, 24 games, Liga Amekis, and zero goals. It's just it's like, it's like, when are we going to stop giving these guys opportunities and start giving our players our Youth Academy players some opportunities. It, it just makes no sense. I, I mean, that, that, that's enough for me. I got, I got it off my chest. Nice. Yeah, get it off your chest, boy. Hey, speaking of um, young Mexican talent, so Aldo kind of mentioned it earlier, but yeah, bro, Cremonense, they beat Napoli today in the Coppa Italia on penalties. And again, similar to Cesar Montes, I don't want to say it's all because of Johan Vasquez returning to the squad, but he wasn't favored by the last coach. They sacked him. They got in a new coach. And in his first game, he starts. He brings Johan back. This guy wasn't even in the in the squad selection for, I think, the, the past three or four match weeks. But not only does he get into the squad, but he starts. And he starts against the best team in Italy right now, which is Napoli. And they push him all the way to penalties. He converts his penalty. So... Yeah, I'm really happy about that because if you ask me, this guy has so much talent and he's being kind of wasted at clubs like Cremonense right now. Last year, we all know what he did for Genoa, but he was rumored to clubs like Atalanta and um, other teams, you know, higher up the table. But the fact that he's at a relegation team right now, but he's succeeding. He's one of their few shining lights. And I think if he continues on this trajectory, he can just get a bigger move to a bigger club and, you know, really strengthen... uh, not only himself, but the Mexican national team in the future. So I'm really happy about that. Shout out, Johan. I mean, the interesting thing is, I believe that that was his first coach at Genoa. So the coach he has now was the one that was his first coach at Genoa, the one that brought him over. So, I mean, it makes sense that he would show um, faith in him. 
All right, y'all. Let's get to the Premier League pick'em. Y'all, y'all ready? Yes, sir. All right, y'all. Damn, six matches again this week. All right, but first one, Leicester versus Brighton. And, bro, come on, we all know where Leicester's at right now. We all know where Brighton's at right now. I see nothing but a Brighton win. I'm going to I'm gonna say 2-1. It'll be close, but Brighton's going to squeak it out. Um, I'm going to... Yeah, I'll agree. I'll go with the 2-0 win for Brighton. Oof, I'm going to say... 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 I'm going to say, yeah, 2-0 for Brighton. Um, I think Lister... Leicester underperforming but they're slowly gonna make it through <laughs> the rest of the season so yeah two nil button all right then after that we got crystal palace versus newcastle bro crystal palace just lost to chelsea come on they're not gonna be newcastle i'm gonna say nice three nil to newcastle yeah i'm agree with you i'm gonna say but i'm gonna say it's three one to newcastle Jeez. I think Newcastle's going to keep the clean sheet. Um, I think 2-0 for Newcastle as well. All right, then we got Brentford versus Leeds. Yo, this is low-key a really evenly match, or even, yeah, an even match. Leeds is, you know, they're up and down, but even if they lose, I feel like they play well. And Brentford currently in eighth. You know, Ivan Tony's on a tear right now. They're, that whole squad is just really, really well, really, really playing well. So I think it'll be... Nah, it's not going to be a draw. I'm going to go three. No. Damn it, bro. Leeds are going to score at least one. So I'm going to say 2-1 Brentford. Um, damn. I'm a, yeah. What did you say? 2-1? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go with 2-1 for Brentford as well. Damn, I'm actually going to give Brentford one more goal. Uh, like you said, I've been telling you, he's, he's been up there, man. Uh, single-handedly. Oh, what's up? I was just gonna say I thought Ivan Tony was suspended for his gambling stuff he did. No, he played that game. Damn, Damn, that's crazy. (laughs) I think he even scored in that last game, didn't he? Yeah, he did. I was yeah, I'm looking at the yeah, he scored, but. Damn, I thought he was gonna. I thought he was still gonna be suspended for his gambling, but I guess they're still investigating. No, man. I mean, he single-handedly kind of, you know, destroyed City <laughs> almost. That so, yeah. And since then, he's been he's been doing great. Uh, but yeah, three-one Frankfurt for me. All right, then we got City versus Wolves. Now we all know the trouble that Wolves has been giving Liverpool in the FA Cup, and they've been doing really well under Lopetegui recently. And honestly, in recent years, uh, I feel like Wolves have been City's Achilles heel. So I think it'll be a draw, and I think that'll put even more distance between City and Arsenal, maybe even City and United and City and Newcastle. So I'm going to go with 1-1. I'm going to disagree with you. I think think City's going to destroy Wolves this game. I'm going to go 3-0 for Wolves. I mean, for City. I don't know, guys. I really want City to lose this one, but... It's it's hard to tell, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say a draw. I'm gonna keep it with a draw. I think they're gonna lose some points for sure. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say two two. Nice. Roll Jimenez with a brace, right? Hell yeah. I don't, think, <laughs> I don't even think he's gonna start. Yeah, probably not. 
Damn, bro. Remember that City Wolves game from like two or three years ago when he basically carried Wolves on his back? And uh, Did they win or did they draw? I don't know, but... It, no, they won. They won 3-2. Yeah, bro. It was all I because of Jimenez, honestly. About. Damn, those were the days. All right, anyways. Match of the week right here. Arsenal versus United. Boy... Damn, this is tough, bro, because both teams are in our really good form. But I think the fact that Arsenal is at home, that's going to that's gonna be the difference maker right there. It's going to be tight. But I'm going to give Arsenal the win 3-2. to two. And I'm going to say it's going to be a 2-2 two, two draw. Dang. I don't know. I think, he, I think it's just going to repeat the, itself again. Um, I'm going to give the win to United 3-1 again. I think Arsenal have enough to get a goal in there, but defense has been solid for United. Damn, we all got different shouts on that. That'll be nice. But the last one, it takes place on Monday, which honestly I feel like they could have just excluded this one from this week, but I guess they're doing six games now instead of five. But it's Fulham versus Spurs. Dang, bro, honestly, I think Fulham's going to win. <laughs> They've been on really good form recently. I mean, they're kind of like leads where if they don't even win, they play really well, So, and they're at home. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a 1-0 win to Fulham. Uh, I'm going to go 3-0 Tottenham. 3-0 Tottenham. Dude, uh, I agree with Chris that it's going to be a tight game. Uh, but I think Tottenham are going to push through it and get the win at 2-1. Damn, y'all, do- y'all doubting Tim Ream and Anthony Robinson right there. But anyways, yeah. that's the Premier League pick for this week. Uh, let's just give everyone at home a quick recap of the table right now. Solo was still in first with 220. I got 214. And although you finally beat Chris, bro, you got 186. <laughs> let's go. Nice. But yeah, man, anything can happen this week. Yeah, anything can happen this week, so... We just got to play the game and see how it turns out. But unless any of y'all got anything else to say, we can sign off for the week. No, I got nothing. Yeah, me neither. All right, y'all. Damn, it's been pretty, it's been a, it's been a long episode, but I'm sure with edits, it'll go down substantially. So yeah, it's been fun, y'all. It's been fun chatting with y'all. Stay safe at home, especially if it's snowing wherever you guys live. Um, Yeah, just stay safe, stay healthy. Thank you as always for listening. Uh, make sure you follow us on our socials at Twitter and TikTok, uh, 1960pod. And we'll see you next week. Adios. Adios.